Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Woo. Hey everybody, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Man, I hope you are excited about Easter. I am uh, six services over three days. Uh, most importantly, you start praying and uh, planning for who you're going to be inviting and bringing uh, to church, uh, both online or in person, either one. And uh, start uh, you know, making those asks, reach out to people where you live, work, parent, and play in your circles of influence. So uh, again, I'm Pastor Chris, welcome. Uh, great to see you guys in person. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and joining us online. Uh, we are in week four of this series called To the Church to the church, and each week we are looking at uh, one of the letters uh, that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And uh, today we are in the, uh, looking at the letter uh, to the church in Thyatira. And uh, at the end of this series, we're gonna have a spelling contest, by the way, for all these churches, see how you do with that. Uh, but I just wanna remind you uh, that the message that Jesus wrote, that he gave to each one of these churches 2,000 years ago, is still relevant today. Uh, and it is a powerful message uh, for the church today and for you and for me personally. So I want you to keep that in mind uh, as we make our way through this letter. So if you have your Bibles with you, your Bible app, you can read it online, uh, on, on the website, or uh, on the screen, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star." Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Wow. So this is actually, maybe you can tell, this is the longest of all the letters that Jesus gave to these churches. But what's interesting is that Jesus had the most to say to a church in a city that we actually know the least about. But what we do know about the city of Thyatira is that it was known for its uh, commercial trade, its commercial expertise. It was where all the trade guilds uh, were located. Now, today we might call them labor unions. So, in, in fact, uh, you might be familiar with uh, a, a woman from, from the book of Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 16, by the name of Lydia. 
Uh, Lydia was there doing her laundry one day when the Apostle Paul goes down and shares the gospel with her, and she gets saved. Well, she happened to be a merchant from the city of Thyatira, and uh, she was a seller of purple goods, the Bible tells us, but it was made purple by a special dye known only in the ancient world in this city. Uh, so it was a very prominent, very well-known trade city. Now, all of that's going to come into play a little bit longer, a, a, a few minutes from now. So I want you to remember that. Kind of put that in the back of your mind, and we'll come back to it in a few minutes. So first of all, what I want you to see here is the perception of the church, the church's perception from Jesus. Revelation 2.18, it says, This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire. Maybe you've used that old phrase before, you know, man, someone could just, you know, they're just staring at you with eyes right into your soul, right? They can see into your heart. So Jesus is pictured here in a similar fashion. He is standing before the church and before you and me, with x-ray eyes. In fact, in Hebrews 4.13, listen to this. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. So, we are being reminded, you know, that Jesus is standing before, before all of us and he sees you. He knows you. You know, the old saying really should be, you can fool all of the people all of the time. You know, you can fool your boss, your family, your spouse, your neighbors. You can fool your friends. You can fool me. You can fool all the people all of the time, but you can't fool Jesus. And though you might think that you've got something well hid and out of sight, Listen, your motives, your heart, you know, that secret sin that you think nobody knows about, Jesus sees it all. His eyes are like blazing fire, that he can see your true motives, that he can hear your thoughts when you're smiling on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of hatred and anger. He can see you with your, uh, your girlfriend or your boyfriend uh, when you think no one else can and you're out on a date. He hears your language when, you know, your Christian friends aren't around anymore. He sees your bank account and he knows how you really spend your money. He knows why you really didn't make it to church last week regardless of what you told your pastor. He knows what you do. And why you do it. He is the Christ who stands before us with flaming eyes. He knows what's inside of you. And then he says, whose feet are like polished bronze. In the Old Testament, polished bronze was a symbol of, of swift and sure judgment. And so basically, Jesus is standing before the church and before you and me to say, I not only see you and know you, but one day, eventually, everything that is not according to the will of my Father is going to come under the swift and sure judgment of God. Next, I want you to look at all the praises that Jesus gives this church. Verse 19, again, it says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. First of all, he says, I know all the things you do. Some translations say, I know your works. 
And we saw this in one of the other churches, but again, evidently, this was a hardworking church. I mean, these early believers, they weren't afraid to roll up their sleeves, to sweat, to work hard, to get the job done. And I just wanted to say this morning as the pastor here at Coastal, man, I praise God for the people that are here at this church who are just like that. Man, they are hard, hard workers, not shirkers, workers who are, who are always willing to say, hey, Pastor Chris, give me a job, give me a responsibility. I'm willing to carry my load, I'm willing to do my part. And you don't have to plead with these people or ask them or beg or remind. They see a need and they meet it. You know, we, we got people here at Coastal who, who know we need teachers and, and nursery workers and volunteers and, and Coastal kids, and their kids are, are involved, and so they don't know any better, you know, than, than to volunteer. They just think that's the way it ought to be. They, they know, you know, we have people that, that know somebody might be uh, falling away from the church. So they don't, you know, ask about them. You know what they do? They call them. They reach out to them. And we got so many people like that here at Coastal. And I praise God for the workers we have at this church. And then he says, I've seen your love, your love. So evidently, this was a loving group of people, a loving church. Now, that's different if you remember from the church that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the church at Ephesus that had lost their first love. But evidently, this was a church that knew how to manifest and express God's unconditional love. And you know what? That's exactly what an unloving, unkind, divisive world is desperate to see today. Man, a church that just doesn't know any better than to be absolutely crazy in love with God and with people. And that's what I want people to think about Coastal. You know, that we love God, that we love people, we don't know any better just to love people and point them to Jesus. And then he praises their faith. Uh, evidently, this was a church that... Uh, that lived and walked by faith, not by sight. What about you today? Are you a man or a woman of faith, willing to uh, take risks for God? And then are you willing to back up your faith with your actions, with your money, with your, your time, your talents? Listen, that's what real faith is. You know, and Jesus always praises and does wonders in the lives of people and of churches who are willing to put their faith in action. You know, just over a year and a half ago, our church completed our, our Daring Faith campaign where we challenged everyone to, you know, step out in faith and to trust God for big things uh, with their actions, with their money, with their resources, their time, their talents. And that's what enabled us to begin uh, our, our, our building project. We got a lot of people here in, at Coastal with great faith. Next, he praises them for their service. Evidently, this was a serving church. And, and again, we have so many you know, humble, willing servants here at Coastal. We couldn't do what we do without you. And I think about all the volunteers that we have here just on a Sunday morning to do what we do here each and every week. From you know, Then there's Saturday Serve and, and Coastal Kids and, and all the countless service projects all over our community, student ministry, life group leaders, on and on and on. Man, this is a serving church. And then he praises them for their their patient endurance. Some translations say long-suffering. They, they persevered. They hung in there. You know, they stuck it through regardless of the circumstances, through, through good times and bad times, through blessing and suffering, through sickness and health. 
Kind of sounds like something we need today in a lot of marriages, doesn't it? Patient endurance. But then I love how Jesus wraps up his praise for this church. He says, I can see your constant improvement in all these things. In other words, they kept growing. You know, they, they weren't stagnant. And so as a Christian, you need to ask yourself this question today. Am I growing? You know, what about me? Am I, am I growing? Am I growing in my, my relationship with Jesus? You know, am I more uh, involved in, in reaching out to people today? Am I more involved in fulfilling the Great Commission than I was a year ago? My prayer life, is my prayer life you know, more consistent today than it was a year ago? Is my prayer life more consistent today than it was five years ago? Am I more committed to the church and, and am I more involved with you know, the bride of Christ, the church, than I was a year ago, five years ago? And what about us as a church? Are we doing more to reach out to our community than we were last year, five years ago? You see, Jesus says, listen, this is one of the you know, great marks of a, of a church, the mark of a growing believer, not perfection, listen, but just constant improvement. You know, sometimes that improvement is big steps, sometimes it's small steps, but you're becoming, you're in, you're in process, you're growing. So this church, Thyatira, it, it, it was a good church. I mean, listen, we would all be proud to be a part of a church that Jesus gives these, these six words of commendation, six words of praise, but this church also had its problems. There was a real poison, evidently, in the church that was, that was wreaking havoc. How many of you, raise your hand or maybe uh, leave a comment online, how many of you have ever had food poisoning? Food poisoning, anybody? Let us know, maybe, tell us the details if you're online. We don't wanna hear them in the room, right? Uh, but uh, maybe let us know about that. Um, I remember the first time I ever got food poisoning, or at least the first time that I think, I was pretty sure that I had food poisoning. It was actually, um, so Janet and I had only been married about a week, okay, about a week, and uh, we just got back from our little short um, pre-honeymoon trip, okay? We, we took our honeymoon uh, later, but this was like our first kind of weekend together, you know, after, as husband and wife, and then we came back to our first apartment, uh, back on campus, the college campus that I was still going to school. And uh, so Janet, she was so excited that she finally got to cook, you know, our first meals together as husband and wife in our new, you know, little home. So, of course, in her mind, she kind of felt the pressure a little bit, I think. You know, she kind of wanted this first week to be great. You know, kind of a preview of, of things to come, so to speak. So, I, I don't remember everything that we ate that first week. But I do remember one thing. <laughs> Salmon patties. Now, even now, just to mention their name, Salmon Patties. Um, it does. It sends a chill up my spine. Now, and I love salmon. I love to grill salmon. I mean, I'm a big salmon eater. But, but I, then I don't know if it was the salmon. I don't know if it was the mayonnaise. I don't know if it was the eggs. I don't know if it was just something special that Janet put on mine. Because evidently, she never got sick, okay? But I do know that I was up all night long hugging the toilet. And uh, what's worse is that evidently 
Janet actually heard me throwing up, but pretended to be asleep, okay? Now, I got her back later when we got married and had kids. But anyway, that's another story. But she confessed to me, you know, confessed that to me later. But, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder if she just planned the whole thing because she had nowhere else to go but up, you know, as far as cooking is concerned. Now, you can all tell, you all know my wife is a phenomenal, phenomenal cook. So don't, don't you know, don't misunderstand my words. But listen, a church can be poisoned just like a human body can. And evidently, the church at Thyatira was, was poisoned. Look at verse 20. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. So, who was this woman? Well, evidently, there was a woman in the church that was causing problems. We actually don't know her real name, but Jesus labels her as a Jezebel and calls her a false prophet. Now, obviously, he's making a connection with her Old Testament counterpart, the evil Queen Jezebel in 1 Kings. Queen Jezebel, King Ahab, it's a, it's a really, really awesome story. You ought to read all about it on your own time. So just what was she teaching, though? So this is where that historical context that I referenced comes back into play at the beginning. So the city of Thyatira, it was the headquarters of all these labor unions in that day. And basically, if you didn't belong to one, likely, more than likely, you didn't work, okay? So let's just suppose that uh, there's a guy who becomes a Christian, you know, a follower of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he goes to these labor unions that he's used to going to, you know, maybe on a Thursday night. And so do you know what they did at these meetings? Well, they basically did two things that would have been very offensive to believers. One, they opened up the meeting with a sacrifice of meat that was offered up to one of the pagan gods, to an idol. And then number two, by the time that the meeting closed, some four to six hours later, it was basically just a drunken sexual orgy, okay? Much like labor union meetings today. No, I'm just joking. I'm just playing. Um, but, so again, you know, imagine, here's this Christian, and so the question comes up in the, in the early church, well then, can a believer belong to one of these trade guilds and go to these meetings and be a part of and participate in something, you know, that's bringing dishonor to Jesus. So evidently, this self-proclaimed prophetess was saying, of course you can. Absolutely. God understands. I mean, you don't think God would want you to lose your job, do you? I mean, after all, God knows your heart, and he knows that you're sincere. By the way, very similar kinds of things to what you might hear today when, when Christians or churches compromise their convictions to just go along and accommodate whatever's accepted in the current culture. You know, where we, we just reinterpret the Bible and adjust its message to meet the mood of the times. See, this is still, still relevant today. And so whatever this woman was teaching, according to Jesus, she was leading many of them, many of them into sexual immorality and idolatry. And a lot of people in the church just went along with it. Maybe, you know, if you've grown up in church circles, you've heard of before, you know, the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel. You know what the spirit of Jezebel really is? Part of it is, is taking part of God's word, but not all of it. 
part of it, but not all of it. it it's, it's, you know, coming together on Sunday morning and, and singing to Jesus how much you love him, and then the rest of the week just living like the rest of the world. It, it's, it's when you pick part of the Bible, you know, you want to take part of the Bible, the part, the part of the Bible that you like, that you agree with, you know, that gives you warm fuzzies, like the blessings and the promises, but then you choose to leave out the, the servanthood and the commitment and the holiness and the lordship part. Jesus was basically saying, hey, church, listen, that's great. You got love. You're hardworking. And on the surface, yes, things look good, but you have a problem, and it's a poison, and it's, it's going to destroy the church. Some of you are tolerating entirely too much. And it's time to stop. And so here we are in 2021, and I think what we need to ask ourselves is this. Is there a spirit of Jezebel in my life? A, a rebellious tolerance for sin. You know, ask yourself, what are you tolerating? What am I tolerating in my own life where I'm possibly saying in my mind, hey, come on, you know, Jesus is gonna let this one slide. I mean, after all, everybody's doing it, right? It just feels right. It's accepted. He will forgive me anyway. Have you become so flippant about some sort of ongoing sin in your life? If you are, I think you need to look at this next part where we see the church purged. The church purged. Look at verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. So this is important. I'm going to come back to this at the end. How much time do we need to repent? How much time does Jesus need to give us to get our act together and to realize that we've messed up, we've sinned, we've gone our own way, and we need to turn back to him. I don't know how much time he gave this woman to repent. The Bible doesn't say. But I do know this. He gave her enough time. You know, remember, he's got eyes like a blazing fire, and he can see our hearts. He saw her heart. He gave her all the time that she needed. And he's given you enough time. But notice what he says. But she does not want to. Again, there was this spirit of, of rebellion in her. She refused to repent. Verse 22, therefore I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. By the way, if you're horrified you know, that Jesus would kill innocent children just because the mother was an adulterer, most you know, uh, New Testament scholars understand that to mean her followers. Okay, not, not her offspring, not her you know, physical children, her followers, people who are you know, going along with her then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out, again, the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each one of you whatever you deserve. Jesus is saying, I know this woman. I know what she's teaching, and, and she's teaching it because it's also in her heart. She's living it. And she and all of her followers, they don't care what they do and who they do it with, so 
I'll put them in bed. I'll put them in a bed of suffering. That's the judgment of Christ. Unless. Man, I love this, and I'm so thankful for this. And you better be. Unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. It's where we see the tender mercy of Christ. Jesus is saying to the church at Thyatira, hey, either you deal with this poison or I'm going to. But notice that Christ's strongest threat to Jezebel and her followers is really not in regard to their specific sin, as serious as that might be, but ultimately it's to their reluctance to repent. Their reluctance to to turn away from sin and to turn back to God. So we've seen the church perceived, the church praised, the church poisoned, the church purged, and then this is beautiful. This is the, the church persevering. Man, I love what Jesus said beginning in verse 24. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira. Now, who are the rest? Well, the rest are the people in that church who refuse to you know, compromise their convictions. They're the ones who, who refuse to go along with this false teaching. And they are the people who were obsessed with you know, holding on to God's truth, regardless of what it might cost them, by the way. He says, but I ha- also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them. Depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except, listen to this, that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. If you're in the room, you're taking notes, I want you to underline that, that, those two words there. Star it, circle it, hold tightly. Hold tightly. Let me tell you something. There is a lot today in this world that is going to try to pull you away from Jesus. In fact, I guarantee it. And if you want it in writing, I will give you a written guarantee that this week, before Sunday comes around again, Satan is going to make another attempt in your life to pull you away from God, to pull you away from his word, to pull you away from from fellowship, from the bride of Christ, the church, to to drag you away from worship, to strip you of of your hope and your peace. He's gonna try to take everything he can that you are holding on to that Jesus says, hey, listen, hold tightly onto what you have. Don't lose your grip on this. So here's another question I think we need to ask ourselves today. How hard would it be to break my grip? How hard would it be to break my grip? Hey, think through this, you know. How hard is it to sway me away from worship? How tight is my grip on, you know, guarding my quiet time with God? How easy is it to convince yourself that it's okay that you don't give regularly or generously? How easy is it to convince yourself that it's okay that you don't serve or you don't volunteer? Jesus said, hold on to what you have. Don't relax your grip. How hard is it to break your grip? What would it take? Now think about that. What would it take? What has it taken? Somebody hurts your feelings? You know, the rain? (laughs) Too cold, too hot? 
have to wear a mask, a pandemic, what would it take to break my grip? And then the last thing, the church promised. Look at verses 26 through 28. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I receive from my Father. Wow. Man, do you hear that? Do you hear what Jesus promises the faithful? Power, authority. And by the way, he's not just talking about, you know, power someday, you know, when you've lived this life and and you've gone on and you've died and you've gone to heaven. No, he's talking about a present power, a present victory, a present authority that every believer has, that you and I can look at a mountain of adversity, a mountain of hardship, a mountain of sorrow or fear or anxiety or anything else in your life and say, move in the name of Jesus by his authority, and it'll be moved in your life. And then look at this next promise, the rest of verse 28. And I will also give them the morning star. Man, what is the morning star? How many of you have ever been out maybe early, early one summer morning, early in the morning, just before the dawn, and it's been a clear night the night before, and you look up and the sky is just pristine clear, and there is one, one last remaining star that has outlasted the darkness and it still twinkles and glows, and it's still giving out its radiance. It is absolutely beautiful. So next time you see that morning star, you think of this verse, I will give you the morning star. Do you know what the morning star is? Or more accurately, who the morning star is? It is Jesus. He is promising us his presence and his power, his presence and his resurrection power over sin and death. It is if Jesus were saying, listen, church, If you are faithful to the end, I will give you power, all that you need, and I will give you my presence. I will be with you just as the morning star rises over the darkness of the night with me in your life. You can rise over anything this world throws at you. He is the morning star. And with him in our life, so are we. Man, that's the promise. Thyatira, you're a good church, but you've tolerated too much. It's time for repentance. And when repentance comes and faithfulness prevails, I'll give you my presence and you'll have my power. Is that Jesus' message to you today? Has your life been missing the power and the presence of Christ? Maybe, just maybe, it's because you've been tolerating some sin in your life and it's time for repentance. You've allowed this world to break your grip on something that Jesus said, hold on tightly. In fact, let me go back to a question I asked earlier. I'm gonna close with this. How much time do you need to repent? How much time do you have? Listen, I don't know, but I do know this. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed the next breath that you breathe. 2 Peter 3, 9, it's not on your your outline. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. 
as some understand slowness. He's talking about his promise to, to come again, to return. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone to come to repentance. He's talking about you today. Come home. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this message that Jesus delivered to this church at Thyatira some 2,000 years ago. But it's just as relevant to us today. Father, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray that we would uh, be intolerant of anything that might pull us away from you. Father, thank you for your presence and for your power that's available to us. And listen, if you are here today, let's start here. If you're a believer, if you're in this room and you have allowed the things of this world to, to break your grip, man, Jesus loves you. Today is a new day. Come back home. Come home. Hold on tightly. Be faithful to the end. He loves you and he wants to, he wants to give you a, a full and abundant life. Come home to him. And listen, if you are here today and you have never yet placed your faith in Christ, listen, the only reason Jesus has not called you home or come again yet is because he is waiting on you to repent. What, how much time do you need? We are not guaranteed the next breath that we breathe. Come home to him today. Just pour your heart to him right now. Again, he is standing before you today with eyes like blazing fire. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions. He sees your heart. Pour it out to him right here and right now. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I bow my knee humbly before you. I, I admit it, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And today I believe that one has been provided. It is your Son. It is Jesus. He is the one, the last, the first and the last, the, the forever. And I believe in him today. I put my faith and trust in him and him alone. And for the rest of my life, God, I just want to follow him. I believe that he, he came and died for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead and he has power over sin and death. I believe he is the great and morning star. And today, I just want to follow him. We love you, Father. We pray all these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.